0: Welcome to Bardier, conversations from the Criminal Justice Policy Program at Harvard Law School. I'm Skylar Dom, and this week I'm going to talk to Maya Buenaventura, a researcher at the RAND Corporation. She recently conducted an analysis comparing case outcomes for clients of a holistic defense practice, specifically the Bronx Defenders, versus a more traditional legal practice such as New York's Legal Aid Bureau. And it turns out that the Bronx defenders and their holistic model saved their clients quite a lot of time in jail. And there's a couple really interesting other results from this study. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to point out that if you don't know what holistic defense is, you might want to go back and listen to our episode with Blake Strode, the director of Arch City Defenders. But here's our conversation. So for people who don't necessarily know what holistic defense is or the sort of a situation that you were studying in the Bronx. Can you describe the natural experiment that you all found in the Bronx? Sure. Um, so, in the Bronx, uh,
1: there are two institutional providers of indigent defense. So, if someone can't afford an attorney, they might get uh, assigned to the Bronx defenders, or they might get assigned to legal aid, which is they've adopted some uh, aspects of holistic defense, but they're, compared to, to the Bronx defenders, they're more traditional. Um, So there are currently two indigent defense providers. Um, Legal aid has been around for a long time, since the 1870s. They've been around representing um, indigent defendants. Then they went on strike in the 90s, and then Giuliani issued a request for proposals for other um, indigent defense providers. So that's how the Bronx defenders came onto the scene in the 90s. Um, And since the beginning, they've been kind of doing this uh, holistic defense approach, which means that rather than focusing solely on the criminal case, Um, They look at the things that might lead to criminal justice involvement to begin with, like substance use disorders, housing instability, and they try to help clients address those things, so find housing, um, find treatment. And then, in addition, when a person is arrested, they're not only just potentially facing jail time, but they could face loss of custody of their children, um, loss of public housing, loss of employment. They might get deported. So uh, holistic offenders help clients prioritize, you know, what, what do we want to get out of this case, what's the most important thing to you, uh, you know, what do we need to do to help you keep your children, keep your housing, keep your job, um, as well as find, find a good outcome in the, the criminal justice case as well.
0: So practically speaking, like, uh, could you maybe give an example of, like, a client whose representation would look different if they were represented by legal aid versus the Bronx Defenders?
1: A hypothetical example would be um, so the idea is to put to, to take a client-centered approach. So maybe you have a client who um, they are in pretrial detet- detention, and there's a good chance that if they go to trial, they will win their case. But the client, if they stay in pretrial detention, um, is going to lose their job because they've they're detained for so long. So the client may say, "Look, I you know I I don't I." I I don't want a conviction, but it's more important to me that I keep my job. So they might accept a guilty plea early on in order to get out of detention and keep their job. Um, Or you might have a client who is offered, um, you know, uh, they have to go to residential treatment, and if they do that, then they're not going to face a conviction. But maybe the client says, well, I can't do that because I have a child and, you know, I don't have anyone to cover child care. So um Maybe rather than taking the plea where they go to um, residential treatment, they decide to go ahead and take a, a guilty plea.
0: Got it, okay, and so how would the how would legal aid handle that situation differently than the Bronx, or like what is the representation how does it look different on the ground?
1: Um, but the idea is a more traditional the more traditional the defender is the more likely they are to focus solely on the criminal justice outcomes and not look at, you know, what does this mean for, for keeping custody of a child? What does this mean for um, keep holding on to a job or, or keeping public housing?
0: Got it. And in addition to the difference in sort of out, like perspective or outlook between holistic and traditional defense, are the resources that the agencies use different?
1: Yeah, so there's typically a different mix. Um, usually, in um, holistic defense organizations, there's a higher proportion of social workers and other, you know, non like legal advocates. So there's social workers who can help people with with these collateral consequences of getting arrested, as well as just other underlying problems like uh, housing instability. Um, in addition, there's sort of like an interdisciplinary team structure. So. Um, rather than, you know, at a place like legal aid or a place that's, like, less holistic, uh, you have a criminal defense attorney, and maybe if you say, you know, I'm going to have immigration issues or I'm going to have employment issues, that 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 person would make referrals and kind of act as a conduit to help you deal with those other issues. Um, whereas with the holistic defense practice, it's a whole team of people. Um, there's, like, a social worker. There might be a parent advocate, um, there might be an immigration attorney, and they all work with the client um, within one-on-one trans, uh, interactions. It's not, you know, solely through the criminal defense attorney. Um, they have a unified strategy, and it's more of just a general team approach. So at, at the Bronx Defenders, they actually physically sit together in a team um, and are constantly in communication about, you know, triaging cases, triaging priorities. How can we get the best outcomes across the spectrum for, for this client?
0: Okay, um, so th- yeah, thank you for walking me through sort of what it actually looks like on the ground. So then both, but both of those agencies are working in the same courthouse and are being randomly assigned uh, clients sort of side by side, right? Right, so that's, you know, that's what allowed for the, for the natural experiment. Um,
1: there's uh, three arraignment shifts every weekday um, to every weekend day. And uh, based on the day of the week, Um, it'll be either uh, Bronx Defenders or Legal Aid that's the primary organization uh, handling arraignments, and arraignments are where uh, the organizations get assigned the defendants, and since both organizations practice vertical representation, if they're assigned that person uh, at arraignment, they're likely to keep that client throughout
0: the life of the case. Okay, so then in this natural experiment, what did you um, end up studying and when did you end up finding?
1: Yeah, so we looked at uh, kind of three different sets of outcomes. The first was pre-trial outcomes. So what's going on in the case between the time they got arraigned and and their trial? So it's things like um, getting released on bail or on recognizance, um, you know, the the time it takes from arraignment to to trial of their case, um, things like that, anything between arraignment and trial. Uh, And we found some interesting things. One is having a holistic defender uh, increases client's likelihood of being granted release on on recognizance by 3.2 percent and also reduces overall rates of pretrial detention. Um, So those are two good things. The other thing we found was that uh, for pretrial outcomes was that holistic representation increases the time it takes to resolve a case. Um, and we think that one reason that might be is that the holistic defenders are strategically delaying case resolution so that clients can do things like begin drug treatment, um, maybe secure employment, and do other things that might lead to um, positive disposition of their cases and more lenient
0: sentences. So, th- those were the findings with respect to pretrial results. What were some of the other differences that you found? Right. Um, so, for
1: immediate case outcomes, um, I think these were the, the most interesting findings of this study. So the first is if you're have, if you a defendant represented by a holistic defender, you have a, a 3.9 percentage point reduction uh, in the likelihood of a custodial sentence. Um, so a 3.9% mm-hmm. less chance that you're going to be put in prison or jail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then a 24% reduction in your custodial sentence, so the, the length of, of your custodial terms.
0: And why do you think that um, is?
1: Um, so the what we think that relates to is when you have this holistic defense model, there is a lot of information gathering and a lot of information sharing going on. So um, it might be that people like social workers who are more prevalent at holistic defenders are better at getting clients to you know share information, talk about mitigating circumstances, than maybe uh, just a, a criminal defense attorney is able to. So, and there are at holistic defense... Defenders, there are a lot of advocates, you know, meeting with a client, maybe as a team, maybe separately, and gathering this mitigating information. Um, in addition, everyone's working together as a team. Um, at the Bronx Defenders, everyone sits together, talks together every day. So they're able to gather this mitigating information, things that might have led to criminal justice involvement, and they can communicate this information to the judge. So the judge might is more likely to be more lenient or more likely to offer maybe alternative sentencing like substance abuse treatment, um, because they know more about the client um, and because more information has been gathered on these clients. Um, in addition, it's we, we also think it's likely that holistic defenders are able to kind of sort through uh, clients and see you know, who is actually a safety risk and who might not be a safety risk because they really get to know these clients. And that's more information that can be conveyed to a judge and and make a judge less likely to to impose a custodial sentence.
0: You know, the Bronx Defenders is also well known for being one of the best, if not the best, public defense agencies in the country. And I Mm -hmm. wonder if you took into account if there's any kind of um, just difference in the... Quality of lawyer um, or or resources, yeah. right? They're 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 well trained. They're um you know they tend to they tend to have very well respected training, and they have you know just they're a very competitive office. And so I wonder if you think that or how that factored into your analysis.
1: Yeah, we thought about that a little bit, and one thing we did was we spoke to judges uh, within the Bronx criminal justice system. And we also spoke to um, third parties, like nonprofits who work with both organizations and just kind of work within the criminal justice system. And while they noticed some differences between the two organizations, like the the judges, by and large, thought that both were like extremely high quality organizations. Um,
0: right. So yeah, I, should, I should say that it, the, the, this should not be a reflection on legal. legal aid, legally, I think, is very. Oh good. no, no, no first. Yeah, we did. We did definitely. We, we had conversations.
1: <laughs> Yeah, we had conversations about cream skimming. Like maybe they're just get, you know, maybe mm-hmm.
0: it's
1: just, you know certain characteristics of Bronx defenders that that make these cases have different outcomes. Which means, you know, the the holistic defense model wouldn't be scalable because maybe you don't have these types of lawyers mm-hmm. all across the country. Um, but yeah, that that is certainly a possibility. But just based on what we learned from judges and other, other third-party organizations, we, we don't think it's, it's a cream-skimming effect. <clears throat> In addition, um, we saw the biggest impact on two types of cases, like it was uh, people with drug charges and larceny charges. Um, mm-hmm. And that was across, and it, it's not more likely that one or the other organization would receive one of these types of cases since, since they received cases randomly. Um so that's another thing that made us think it's, it's likely not the result of cream
0: skimming. Interesting. Sorry, can you explain that to me a little bit more um why that would why that would lead to the conclusion that it's not a cream skimming situation?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't across just like all uh Bronx defender cases that we saw Um,
0: I see what you're saying. So there's something about the relationship between the holistic model and those types of cases that seems to be Right, yeah, yeah. But
1: so it's it's in these, like, when you have a case where there's drug charges or larceny charges, there's more of an opportunity for uh, a holistic defender to gather information about, you know, substance use problems or maybe, like, housing instability or employment instability that might have led to larceny charges, more of an opportunity to gather this kind of information convey to the ch- judge's, you know, mitigating factors and get, you know, a more, a more lenient sentence.
0: Okay. Um, that, oh, that makes sense. So then I think we, we talked a, a little bit about sentencing and conviction rates. Uh, were there any differences in recidivism rates among the Bronx defenders and legal aids clients? Yeah, that's a, a
1: really good question. So we looked at uh, all new arrests, as well as uh, broke it down into felony and misdemeanor future arrests, um, and there was interestingly no difference. Um, so that it, it might seem like um, a disappointing result because you know one of the the points of holistic defense is to address these underlying issues that that lead to criminal justice involvement. So you're thinking. You know, if we've addressed these issues, why are, why is recidivism not going down in the future? Um, but you have to keep in mind that um, you have reduced custodial sentences and days in jail without impacting future public safety. So the fact that, that individuals aren't uh, in prison or jail uh, and it's not impacting public safety shows that there are ways to, you know, Keep these people out of prison and jail save taxpayer dollars and not have an increase in crime because there's more um, people on the street capable of, of committing crimes
0: well, that's very interesting i hadn't I hadn't thought about that before and it's it's almost separate from a conversation of holistic versus a more traditional defense practice um, mm-hmm. your your findings are i I, I don't want to say in some ways kind of radical but in 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 pointing out that in fact incarcerating people for more time is not affecting underlying criminal behavior can be could be very useful in you know in supporting a, a an argument that prison is unnecessary or extended prison stays are unnecessary or something like that
1: yeah, and we think it also might have um... The reason that we we found you know that there was kind of this increase in uh, custodial sentencing and increase in days in custody without an increase in in you with know, future recidivism um, we think that might have also been a, a result of this kind of information gathering uh, and disseminating mechanism where um, the whole team of criminal defense attorneys, other advocates, social workers are learning about these clients and, and are able to convey to the judge, look, this person is not a future safety risk. Um, so judges feel more more comfortable keep letting these people have, you know, less days in jail or prison and at the same time not creating uh, a greater threat to public safety in the future.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So perhaps the argument is that, in fact, judges are making more accurate determinations of how long a custodial sentence is necessary to ensure public safety. Right. Versus taking right. it to the sort of radical step where I was taking it, which is it shows that prison is unnecessary, <laughs> you know. Um, but, in fact, it's, it, maybe it's just providing judges with more accurate information. Right.
1: Right. And then the interesting thing is uh, we kind of did an estimate of over the, the 10 years of the study how much was saved by not incarcerating um, individuals, and we found it was like $165 million in taxpayer savings. Um, on inmate housing costs alone. So we thought that was a pretty, a pretty interesting finding.
0: Yeah. So 165 million dollars saved for taxpayers, and how many over ten over ten years? And how many yeah. um, days in jail were saved for the defenders' clients?
1: So over the period of the ten of the yeah, ten years, it was about 1.1 million days uh, reduction in custodial sentences, mm-hmm.
0: which was. Yeah, an no extreme finding. So from a, from a public policy perspective, like if I were coming at this and I were a city councilor, for example, I might, um, I might say, wow, well, that, that seems like it's a, that's a very effective way for us to use um, resources more efficiently. But I wonder if, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, if from, like a, from the Bronx Defenders' perspective – Given that the pitch for so long has been you know um, about more than just reducing custodial sentences but about you know, achieving better outcomes for clients and about un- dealing with the sort of causes of interaction with the criminal justice system or criminal legal system as opposed to just dealing with the criminal case, I wonder if actually your study kind of and its results kind of undermines that. Um, that pitch for holistic defense, that it is going to address people's um, you know, lives more meaningly as opposed to just getting better criminal uh, case outcomes. Oh, right, so no no reduction in future recidivism.
1: Yeah, we're not really sure why that is. It could be that just, like, the, the issues people face are so entrenched that
0: mm-hmm.
1: we weren't mm-hmm. able to detect a, 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 an impact on future recidivism. But I would say that if you're a policymaker, you know, that's trying to implement holistic defense, you would say we're, you know, to, to the taxpayers, we're, we're saving taxpayer dollars on, on uh, less incarceration without um, posing a threat to public safety in the future. Because zero impact in recidivism, you know, it's, Disappointing in that it doesn't reduce it, but also doesn't in- increase it, and mm. and people are spending less time in jail and prison.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's you know it's interesting when when I think about it, um, you know, the, like the it's not a dirty secret, but the 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 fact of criminal of most criminal defense attorneys' jobs is that their their clients actually did do the thing that they're accused of, and the point is right is that they're accused of something that shouldn't be a crime or they're um, being punished sort of beyond what is reasonable or they're being punished when they should be offered treatment or, you know, economic opportunity. And I guess if you look at this study through that lens, that the job of a public defender is not, uh, may not be to move the needle that much on conviction rates, but to move the needle on sort of harm reduction, that it's pretty profound that the Bronx defenders have had such a meaningful um, reduction in sentencing outcomes for their clients. Yeah,
1: I definitely agree with that. And I I think that if we were able to look at things like, you know, keeping families together, keeping Mm. people from getting deported, um, and other things like that, we would likely, you know, I can't say for sure because we we weren't able to get that data, but I I think that we would see beyond criminal justice outcomes, there were a lot of, of positive outcomes as well.
0: Do you have a sense of what the difference is in kind of um, agency spend per client between the Bronx and defenders and legal aid? I mean, because I know the Bronx defenders and I'm assuming legal aid does as well, does a fair amount of like fundraising in addition to being paid by the state, obviously to do, um, to do representation. Do you know anything about the, the relative um, difference in cost of the different agencies?
1: No, unfortunately, I, I don't have
0: that information. So then, are there conclusions? I, I think we've we've touched on a number of them, but are there conclusions or takeaways from the study that you think are really important to highlight?
1: So the the one that I've been talking about, and I think the the major one is that it's just the impact that that we can reduce incarceration without um affecting without hurting public safety in the future. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk. When we talk about mass incarceration, we talk about bail reform, sentencing reform, policing, but there's not a whole lot of attention paid to the indigent defense model. Um, and this is a tool, a really good tool, for reducing mass incarceration. Um, and I don't think that's, you know, the indigent defender has received a lot of, of uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of emphasis on that in the whole mass incarceration discussion. Um, mm. And also just in general, the impact that a, that defense counsel can have on, on the outcomes of cases. So it's, it's another reason to, to ask that, that public defenders are, are better funded.
0: Well, I think that is a great encapsulation of the, the, of the study, its findings and its implications. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to rate and review us on whatever platform you found this on. And many thanks to Poddington Bear and the folks at the Criminal Justice Policy Program for their continued support. Have a good week.